welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. This week, I'm talking with illustrator and designer Meg Vasquez. We chat about designing gig posters through Delicious Design League, building campaign systems within the Democratic National Committee, and on the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016, moving the digital design language forward at GQ by streamlining processes, and more, all right after this. It's no secret that I love Jack Prince. They're a longtime sponsor of the podcast and Creative South. Plus, they do great work. Whether they're making our pop-up displays and tablecloths or printing notebooks, Jack Prince is always there when we need them. This year, they are printing new Creative South t-shirts for me and the podcast stickers. They have a coupon code on the back that gives you a great discount on all of their products, just in time for Creative South. Speaking of stickers, Jack Prince will print any kind, shape, size, or stock, including full-color stickers with full-color liner prints for you to use as product labels, promotions, bumper stickers, hang tags, business cards, and more. Right now, you can get 500 3x3-inch die-cut stickers starting at $149. Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South Podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code SOUTH15OFF at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. If you like the Creative South Podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South Podcast swag. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else. A shout out on the podcast thanking you for your support. Creative South Podcast stickers and t-shirts. So, please... Help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash creative south. Meg, good morning. Morning. Thank you for having me. Thank thank you for agreeing to be on. So so <laughs> let let's uh let's let's dive right into things and tell me where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up outside of Chicago, um, oh, so the, I, I always say Chicago, but everyone always says what part. So, <laughs> um, I, the south so I'm originally suburbs, so. I'm originally from the Chicago area. So, oh my God, yeah, I'm from uh, Aurora and Naperville area. Okay. Yeah, how about you? Uh, my mom was born in Aurora. Uh, oh I was in Roselle until I was about four, and then I've got cousins that live in like Buffalo Grove and Northbrook and. You know, oh, kind of spread wonderful. out all over the place. Yeah. So we so yeah, we still go yeah. back every once in a while. I go back a decent amount, but I actually, most of our family is in Wisconsin. So we end up in the Milwaukee area, mostly uh, when I go home. I, I understand. I like Milwaukee. So do I. It's a great city. Yeah. So, so when you were, when you were growing up, what type of uh, kid were you? Were you sporty, arty, nerdy, all of the above? Um, I was pretty nerdy and with like a set, with like a, aside of sporty. Um, so like growing up, I was like really into reading like fantasy books and I'm an only child. So like spent a lot of time just like reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course was, was into art. I drew a lot as a kid. Um, but yeah. And then in high school I got like, I just wanted to be like a skater kid. So uh-huh. I turned into like very much a skater kid in high school. Um, so that was like where the the sporty side came in, but but yeah, pretty pretty nerdy through and through. <laughs> gotcha. Um, at, at what point did you start 
thinking about art and then doing things in the artistic realm? Uh, kind of in it. I mean, like drawing from a really early age, like my mom always said, like when I was super young, like I would get these like notes back on, on like coloring exercises from teachers being like, she will not stay in the lines. Cause I would just be like adding on and like drawing my own things on top of whatever we were given. Um, so always like really interested in art, but really into like DIY, like in middle school and high school, I was like making my own clothing or like seeing something in the store that like I wasn't going to buy, but like going home and trying to make it on my own, <laughs> um, which always turned out a little bootleg. But like, <laughs> I was about to ask, how did this turn out? <laughs> some were okay. Some were really bad. Um, I'm sure I can dredge up pictures somewhere. Um, but I actually, in high school, I was, I was lucky enough. I went to, um, Wabonzi in Aurora and it's just a, this huge high school. Like my graduating class is like over a thousand kids. So I think with that many kids, they, it was really wonderful that they had, um, like these tracks, like mm-hmm. these like studying tracks that you could get on if you kind of knew what you wanted to do in college. So like, mm-hmm. I really thought I was going to be an architect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was on this like architectural drafting kind of track that I would just be drawing all the time, but in a way that was a little bit more on the engineering side. Um, sure. but I'm, I'm obviously not an architect. Now. <laughs> Once I got to college, I was like, that's not for me, but I'm really glad that I was lucky enough to have that because it really helped with those kind of visual thinking, problem solving skills, because you have to look at objects and figure out how to draw them from scratch in a mechanical way, thinking of like all sides kind of 3d, but on a 2d surface. So, um, yeah, I was really, really lucky to have that at school. Gotcha. When you, when you got to college, did you keep up with the architecture for a little while or did you immediately run away? I did it for about a year. Uh, and it was like the, you know, I got like thrown into like college level physics and I was like, like, wow, I can't do this. Like labs were really easy, but I would just bomb every single test. And I'm like, this is no longer fun. I was at a university of Illinois for my first two years. So they have a a great architecture school, but it is very difficult. And, uh, I was like a little bit out of my, out of my depth. And I realized that I was just missing the, the art side of architecture was what had always drawn me to it and sure. not so much the engineering. The math physics. part of it. Yeah. <laughs> the it's not really my thing. So, sure. Sure. yeah. So, so what, what did you switch up and end up focusing on? I switched into, um, I had to take, you know, a year of foundational art mm-hmm. at U of I. So I, I did that and I, I loved all of it. I mean, really every foundational class I was in, even like, like sculpture, like woodworking or just like getting my hands dirty and working on things. Um, but that was actually that year was when I decided that I was going to transfer to an art school, like a dedicated art school. Um, Mm -hmm. mainly because I knew that if I was going to be serious about like picking a career in Mm -hmm. art, I wanted to make sure that I like kind of went like head first into it. And I also realized I kind of, I needed to like fly the nest a little bit like I needed I needed to be pushed a, a little bit further out of Illinois I think to really <laughs> stand on my own two feet like three hours drive it's like a little still a little bit too close to home for me to be like I can just rely on my mom to like <laughs> do my laundry yeah all the yeah, fun I stuff I just needed to go so gotcha so so where did where did what what art school did you end up going to 
I ended up going to MICA in Baltimore okay. and it was like the best decision I ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kicked my ass. It was, it was really, it was good. Mm-hmm. Did you, did, when you were at MICA, did you focus on a specific area of study or? I did. I was, um, I majored in illustration sure. and then I concentrated in design. So I, a lot of the illustration work, especially when I got closer to my thesis, um, involved a lot of typography and design thinking. Um, my, I had this internship between my junior and senior year of college where I worked at delicious design league in mm-hmm. Chicago. And they're this amazing, um, small, but kind of forever growing design boutique, uh, where they are screen printers and illustrators and designers. And they're just like in this insanely talented group of humans. So I was lucky enough. I, I worked for them for a summer and it just like changed my perspective on design and like kind of where I wanted to push it. And they like what they, how they got their name was, uh, making gig posters for bands. And so that kind of where I started to head that, that was my entire thesis where I would be making these posters, but also kind of building myself as a business and like going to concerts in DC. I would like drive to DC and like my like car that was like breaking down (laughs) with like posters. And I would just like, wait after and like use like wait after the shows and like use them as like big business cards and it actually paid off um because there was a about like three or four years that I was almost like a resident artist at 930 club in DC making um art for art for their shows so screen printing and designing and really kind of blending design and illustration um which I think is still reflected in my work now so you're so you're at Delicious Design. You're di- driving to all of these um, fun concerts, and your car's questionable at best at this point. <laughs> Very much so. Um, and, and 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 you're still in school. Are are there with the illustration specifically? Are there hints at a style emerging for you at this point? A little bit, you know, I like, it's funny, um, majoring in design and illustration, I would get this like varied feedback where on the illustration side, I would be told that like my style wasn't strong. enough. Like I didn't have, I didn't have too much of a style. Like I, I needed to have more of a style. And then on the design side, they were like, you need to have like a more varied style. Like you need to be, to be able to design in like any voice. And it was, it was actually really tough to be in between those two very different ways of thinking. Like the, I think like the foundational skill was there on either side, but it really took me a while to find my voice in either of those things. I think I had a stronger design voice than I did illustration. Um, Mm. Micah is, is tough for illustration. It's, it's a great program, but I think I am most comfortable illustrating through a computer like I am I am much much better if I can open up illustrator and start building shapes and and working with a layout using Mm -hmm. geometry and that like they don't really let you touch digital illustration um until you're like really deep into the program because they want you to build up those Mm -hmm. skills by hand which I completely understand but it was actually really difficult for me because it just didn't come naturally at all like I am not I'm not a very strong, like life drawer. (laughs) I, um, I can relate. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's, it was really tough. Um, but I think through working on posters, I think I was able to 
really start to like experiment and Mm -hmm. and knowing that like I didn't have to illustrate the same way for every band because I was really trying to design around the music sure and thinking like what is this going to reflect and like will like does this band sound more like a photo collage to me or does this feel like something that I could use like cut paper for and then scan in or like and knowing that everything was going to end up being screen printed actually kind of helped me develop a voice there like screen printing was like a really big breakthrough for me in terms of like color and process because you Mm -hmm. have to be so methodical when you're thinking about how you're designing something like you have to start grouping your layers by color you have to think about how color interacts like you know can I make something that looks like a four color screen print with only two colors going on, on on paper um so it's uh that was I think what what did it for me um but now I think if I, if I look at my work now, like it's definitely kind of veered in a direction where like my illustration all kind of feels like very similar. And it's, it's all, it's all digital now. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't, I rarely, rarely do something off of a computer these days. Sure. Well, I mean, you work in a digital realm, so it kind of makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so after you get out of school and, and you know, the, the internship with, with, delicious design league wraps up what do you end up doing um well i stuck around like my original plan was to go back to chicago um, which i know like my mom was like fingers crossed um but the the posters were kind of picking up and it didn't feel like it was time for me to go Mm -hmm. home yet i feel like i had things that i wanted to like see through um so yeah i the posters definitely were not making enough money for me to like not have a full-time job sure so i Continued making posters, but was looking for full time work and ended up in like a like a pretty conservative role in DC. Like, I, well, you know, I guess if, if you think of DC, like design in DC is like a very like, it's like a world of its own. Sure. Um, but I I ended up at a like a very small PR firm doing like all kinds of projects, and it was a great experience for like a couple of reasons. Like it was good because I was working on projects that were varied and I was working in an agency and it was even though it was small, like I was working on, you know, a couple of different clients at any given time, which was good for me just to learn how to like balance and how to, how to like have that face to face contact with, um, a client. And like, how do you, how do you talk about art in a way that to someone who like doesn't understand design or art. So like the communication skills that I learned at that job were great, but it also, I think showed me like where I maybe did not want to push my career. So I, I was there for about a year. Um, and then that's actually what pushed me into politics or, you know, oddly enough. So I ended up at the, at the DNC Mm -hmm. after that, which I, I loved. I was not a particularly politically active person before that but once you I think once you're like living and breathing it it's it's really hard to ignore what's happening around you and that was like really eye-opening for Mm -hmm. me and um and the DNC you know working there and I should say sorry the Democratic National Committee um just just in case (laughs) yeah like like, I'm DC speak um but uh it was it was great it's a working on the digital side there, it's a really young team. And mm-hmm. so you're just working with really passionate young people who want to make a difference. And I think a lot of people don't actually realize like what even the democratic national committee is or like what happens behind those doors, but it's, sure. it's people who are passionate, who are really trying to make a difference, um, 
with the party and, and kind of pushing the country forward. So like that, that was really, it was just like fun to see that I could use my design skills and bring them to an industry that is not particularly like oh. design savvy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot so, of red, white, and blue. Um. Yeah, so it's like, what what can you do with that, and how can you make it better and and use your design in like a persuasive way? It was, um, yeah, it was it was great, hard but great. Gotcha. Well, since you weren't a very political person, what was it that drew you there in the first place? Was it they had an opening, or was it just? It actually, other it things? was. Um, I didn't even apply. I was actually approached, um, but it was, the timing was really good because I, the, some of the clients I had at my first job were, um, I'm not going to name names, but they were like a little bit more conservative than I Mm -hmm. felt good about. And I knew that I was making work that was never going to end up in my portfolio. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm just like, I just felt like kind of burnt out and like not good about the work that I was doing. And I knew that I, I wanted that to change. So I, um, was actually approached by the creative director at the DNC. She had lived in Baltimore at the same time I lived in Baltimore mm-hmm. when I was going to Micah and had seen um, some packaging I had done for a local brand that she reached out to see who had done it and then found me and then reached out. And it was just like this kind of like meant to be moment. I, w- I wasn't thinking about working in politics. I just knew I didn't really want to be where I was. Um, sure. And then once I got into it, I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm kind of good at this. And I, I, I like this. This is, this is better. I feel better about my day to day than I had been. Sure. When, when you get over to the DNC, what, what is the, like political design is very different than any other realm of design. So what, what is kind of like the system thinking that goes into that sort of stuff? Well, it was, it was interesting. I think coming into the DNC, they, I think they're in a tough spot with design over there because the way the DNC works is that staff typically turns over at the end of every like cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you have that much turnover and if you don't have a brand system in place, the voice can get really muddy. So walking into something where they had just undergone a rebrand after the 2012 Obama Mm -hmm. election, um, so like the, the logo had just changed like that Gotham D in a circle, mm-hmm. uh, all the typefaces had been updated to reflect the Obama campaign. And like, as where like, I get it, it's just like, it's a little tough. Like when you're, when you're all your brand assets are, are there's no legacy to it. It's changing every like four or eight years, mm-hmm. which is really hard to make sure that like, your voice is actually like really like you're reaching brand saturation. Like, I think that's, that's really hard. So coming in, um, there weren't a lot of, there wasn't really any documentation and that was something that I worked on. Um, and it was really my first time working on with my boss there, like building a brand guide, building a style guide, um, making sure that we were reaching out to state parties and trying to get the brand to them because not only do you have the democratic national committee, but every state has their own. own, And, there are still people that are using logos from like three logos back. And like, it's just like, there's, it's, it's, a, it's really, you're up for like a very difficult job when you're trying to kind of get that branding to like, like to really sink through everywhere. Sure. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was kind of eye opening seeing like trying to get like a design system in place where a design system has never been in place. Um, 
and yeah, people can be very like the state parties like love them dearly, but they they don't want to they don't want to change and they don't want to update like change anything is bad. like what. Yeah, so that's that was really um, <laughs> eye opening and it was a challenge, but uh, but yeah, I think also just realizing like where where design like what channels are used for design Mm -hmm. when you're doing that kind of work in a digital space it's like you have to think about design for email you have to think about design for social um the website design merch design um print design for like Mm -hmm. invitations and like rallies and placards and and like the design needs change with whatever's happening in whatever cycle you're in so you know i've i've never I, you know, left politics for now, at least, um, that we're in a Republican term, but like, I've, I've never worked in politics where like, you're just doing opposition Mm -hmm. design basically, you know? So like, I don't even know what that feels like day to day when you're really just kind of trying to beat back the other side. And it's not like, you don't really have a lot to be like, yay. (laughs) It's a a tough time in politics right now. Yeah. I couldn't even like speak to that. Like I, I have no idea what that day to day feels like right now. Um, yeah. When you were working in it, I think one of the, the key words in there is committee. How, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure every designer working out there has had to put something through committee and the nightmare process that that can be. How are you kind of, keeping morale up for yourself when you're getting notes from people who don't necessarily understand design nor care about design. Yeah. How, how does that work? How did that work for you? That's tough. I mean, I think that it, it is definitely tough. Um, I think in a digital space, you're lucky still somewhat that I, I, it's a, it's a bummer on one hand, but it's also kind of a blessing on the other that I think that a lot of like older institutions, um, kind of think of like digital programs as like the second tier, mm-hmm. uh, which sucks because like it's very, very important work. And mm-hmm. it's also getting, I think more eyes than most people realize, yep. but in some ways, like it shields you a little bit because a lot of the stakeholders are like, like digital like that's whatever and so you just kind of get to do what you want to do for the most part they don't think it's important so they just let it slide and don't care yeah i mean it happens and it's happened you know in multiple places that i've worked where like they just think of digital as like this like other like i don't have to worry about it um for the most part so you're just like i'm not gonna like raise my hand and we're just gonna keep doing like the good work that we should be doing um but in the instances where there are like a lot of stakeholders or you know too many cooks in the kitchen i think it really is also it's just a crash course in how to communicate and how do you talk to people about design who are not designers and Mm -hmm. and how do you hear feedback that might be like really bad feedback on design and pick out like the root, like asking the right questions to get like to like the root of, okay, why do you feel this way? And how can I kind of tease that out and then like pair it back to you a solution that is going to get us like in the middle of something that like, I'm still going to be happy with, but is also going to like ease your worries about whatever you're worried about. And I think that like, that's been a huge learn anything from me because I mean I think any anywhere you work especially in politics you're gonna have um especially if you're in-house you're gonna have sure people who don't quite get what you're doing and have feelings about it and how do you how do you have that conversation and how do you 
how do you make sure that they feel like they're being heard and make sure that you're actually listening, but still getting, getting something that everybody can be happy with. And, you know, obviously it's not always possible, but I think I've gotten pretty good at, uh, playing design detective and <laughs> getting, getting them to answer the questions I need them to. I mean, so. do, you, do you have an approach for kind of getting to the bottom of things and feeling out like a, just a methodology behind the questions that you ask? Yeah, I think one is trying to do most of it either face to face if possible sure. um, or over the phone. I think for me, and I think most people probably feel this, but email tone just gets lost. Uh-huh. And I think it's really, really easy to feel kind of beaten down unless you're having that like face-to-face conversation. And I think like for me, I know people like when I'm like, I'm just going to come over and talk to you about it. I feel like they get like the defenses go up a little bit, but I'm like, no, I, I really just want to see your face mm-hmm. so we can talk about this. And I think I've also had to work on my poker face a little bit because <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows that like I show everything here. So like, <laughs> I've had to like really work on that where I'm like, okay, how do I just give you like neutral Meg right now as we're talking? <laughs> um, but I think it's, it's also too like, you know, just pausing in the conversation and really like taking a minute or a second to like think and really hear what the person is saying and trying to like ask the leading question to be like, okay, I hear you do you mean this by that? And, and trying to like figure, figure out, is it, is it the typography? Is it the color? Is it the photo choice? Or like, is it the placeholder words I put on this page that like, you're really not responding well to? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. people get, people get very hung up on like, you know, just like the smallest, it could just be a word change. And they're like, this is perfect. And I'm like, Oh my God, it was placeholder copy. Like, why was this (laughs) this something we were like arguing about for like half a day? So, um, I think, yeah, you know, knowing the more I like seeing these things that like people kind of respond to right off the bat, I, Mm -hmm. I try to build that into my process. So like, say I'm presenting branding concepts, like for a project at work, I try to design everything in black and white first before we even get to the conversation of color, because I just want you to see like the blueprint of the thing where I'm like, okay, like we're not going to bring a yellow into this because like, I don't know, you might hate yellow and mm-hmm. like, I don't want to derail the conversation because you cannot see past the yellow. Um, you know, so it's like, or like, you know, just using warm up. So I'm like, don't put in any actual copy if you're <laughs> designing a thing like that doesn't have copy yet because like people are going to lose it. And they like, people who are not designers are not going to realize that it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just, just copy or like, you know, like if they don't have the, the design language to have that conversation, they're going to grab onto whatever they can grab onto. And it might be the thing you don't want them to grab onto. Oh so. yeah. I've, I've had, yeah. even, even putting lorem ipsum in, I've had so many people just come to me and be like, why are you using Latin in here? We don't speak Latin. I'm like, I know. It's just like, Oh my God, it's placeholder copy. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now I've had it start. Like when I send out a PDF for proof on something and it's got placeholder copy in there, I have to put the, you know, comment bubble. This copy is just for placeholder. I know, but it's like, it's like that, like annoying stuff you have to do up front. That's going to save you from like six hours of arguments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's wild, but yeah. Common sense goes out the window when proofing. <laughs> it really does. It really does. So, so, you know, you're, you're at the DNC doing all of this stuff. Is it, is it, are, do you end up working on the Hillary campaign directly through the DNC or does 
like like you're still at the DNC yeah. and doing the Hillary campaign through that, or do you end up going over to the Hillary no. campaign? So I went over to the Hillary campaign. Um, and this is like, politics is a small world. So like if you've sure. worked with someone one time, you're going to work with them like three more times. Um, but the way that campaigns and the, and the committee work, they, they don't actually talk to each other at all. So a lot of DNC staffers did end up going over to the Hillary campaign, but it was like quitting. It was just like quitting any normal job and going over to mm-hmm. another job. So I got, I got recruited kind of before day one to go over to Hillary. Um, and I actually wasn't planning on it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't something that I had like raised my hand for. I was planning on staying at the, at the DNC through the cycle. Um, mm-hmm. because DC was home at that time. Like we had, my boyfriend and I had like just gotten a dog. I was like, we we're settling in, like, I'm going to be here for a <laughs> while. And then like the call came and I was like, see you guys in like two years. Um, so I, yeah, I got the call and it was just like too good of an opportunity to pass up. It was, um, you know, a more of a leadership role than I had been in. Like this was a design design lead, uh, position. So I was going onto the campaign under the understanding that like, eventually I would have a team Mm -hmm. under me that I'd be working with. They would still be, you know, a design director, but then like, I would be kind of in that like top layer of, being able to like shape and lead things, which sounded really great to me. Um, mm-hmm. and it just sounded like hard and fun. Um, sure. and you know, the chance to elect the first woman president, I'm like, I want to be there for that. Like that is something I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I packed up like a week later and like took two bags to New York and was just like sleeping on a couch and like, um, was in this huge office that had like 12 people working in it. Like we were very, very small in the beginning. Um, Uh and it was, it was just a crazy kind of whirlwind getting to New York. Um, I was the first designer on staff before we, we didn't have a design director yet. Mm -hmm. So I was the only one for a little while. And then, um, one of my coworkers, Ida joined and we were just the two of us for like three hours or three hours, three months. Um, (laughs) Like, only three hours. It's fine. Right, that doesn't uh, sound that bad. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we were we were kind of on our own, just fielding requests left and right. And then mm-hmm. once um, the design director Jennifer Kynan started, um, who's fantastic, uh, we really got to kind of roll back everything that we had just been like ad hoc, like responding to like crazy mm-hmm. people, and and really start to build that design system with her and make it something that was really cohesive and, and beautiful. And that was like an amazing process being able to work with her on that. Walk, walk me through that process because you know, when, when you're doing stuff for the DNC, like you said, you've got to take into account, you've got 50 States yeah. and you know, all our territories and all that stuff mm-hmm. that have, you know, so, stuff like that. And then you go yeah. to one person, one voice who's, yeah ostensibly the de facto leader of the DNC at that point, because she's the, I mean, at, at that point she wasn't, but you know, yeah. eventually moves into that when the campaign, you know, selection goes through and she gets mm-hmm. nominated. How, do, how does that work? Um, well, it was really, it was hard. So like, I think, you know, you're up for a challenge when your brand is Hillary Clinton. Like how mm-hmm. do you, brand like one of the most recognizable women yeah 
in the country who like in a, in a way that isn't going to look like her past campaign. Like there is like, there's like old branding that you're still going to have to like fight to overcome. But like, in a sense you really, you do get to, it's a little freeing because it's not, it's not a place like the DNC that is operating under the same name and has been around for forever and has like these old, like legacy brand assets. Um, so like on the campaign, like you're having to figure out like, okay, we have like Michael Beirut did the logo. So like we came yep. in and there was like a logo and a typeface and a color palette. And that was really it. There was like nothing else for us to go off of yet. Um, so Jennifer, she, she, so she's a, um, she is a like, like word vomit over here. Um, <laughs> she runs OCD with her partner, Bobby. Um, and they do this just wonderful brand system work. So that was actually and, why and OCD is like the greatest name ever for something. I know. It's okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, they're, they're amazing both as people and designers. Um, so I think that was a really smart choice on the campaign to bring her in to help build this thing that is going to have to trickle down to a local level. Mm -hmm. Um, and how do you do that in a way that's, that's really smart. And like, that is what Jennifer is just like the queen of, like, she is so good at figuring out, like, how do you build a brand system and make it like modular so that when you give it to people at the local level, they can kind of make it their own while still being on brand. And she did that for Girl Scouts. Mm -hmm. So that was like the big case study. I think that won the campaign over was looking at like all of this work that this design strategy work that she had done. Um, and how do you bring that to the campaign? So that was, that was really where we started. Like we, when she got there, we like rolled it, everything that we had already done, which like, to like Ida and my credit, like we were, we didn't know how much like strategy or like system work we could put into place because we didn't have a boss yet. And we sure. were just going off of like, there had been like contract designers who had worked on the website. And like, that was like the website was like our style guide at that point. Like we had nothing else to go off of. Mm -hmm. So, and it like the pace is so fast. You're just like, I'm just going to like design this in like 15 minutes and like it has to go out the door. Yeah. Um, so it was really like a breath of fresh air to like have some like actual rules and guidelines start to be put in place. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, working on, on the campaign, like the, the brand and like all the design is completely separate from the DNC. Like mm -hmm. we don't really talk to, to them at all until after the primary is done. And then that's when like conversations around, like, is there anything that we want to do design wise, like cross brand that would make sense. And like, I can get into that. It's like m more like voting efforts and, mm -hmm. and you know, like, it's like that get out the vote push. Like how do we kind of speak in one voice between committee and campaign um, but that's like way, 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 way down the road. It's like a year and a half sure. plus down the road. Um, so really we're just kind of in-house trying to build out that language at that point. Like, you know, we're only really working with like four state parties to be, or like not state parties, st um, like state level campaign offices, mm -hmm. um, in the beginning. So like you start out kind of slow and then this thing builds like as the primary goes on. And then as you move into the general, like the system just has to expand and expand and expand. Well, yeah, and that's, that, that's what I'm curious about because it does expand and it, mm -hmm. you know, expands at an exponential rate at a certain point. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's really daunting. And I think that was actually our camp, our, our campaign design team was kind of one of a kind that way. Cause we, as, as the campaign grew and as that, you know, the, as the system grows exponentially, so did our team. Mm -hmm. So we started with me 
and then we were two and then we were three and then we were like six for like a really long time. And then in that last push, we were 16 Mm -hmm. and a good portion of that 16 were actually like state dedicated designers. So they were helping build design kits, helping build assets, helping like respond to like one off requests where a state would need something specific for an event that like couldn't be built out of the design kit that we gave them. Um, so we had like a whole team dedicated and that doesn't usually happen on campaigns. It's usually whoever the design team is focuses on kind of the national level. And then Mm -hmm. the, like the state, like portions of the campaign kind of do their own thing. Um, so we had to think of like, how do we, how do we give you assets that feel on brand, but also feel unique to you? And, um, we were always brainstorming and trying to come up with like new innovative things. And I think one of the coolest projects that I saw happen that, uh, one of my coworkers, Chelsea Atwell kind of spearheaded was this like really amazing, um, set of like illustrations that they worked on. So we had the the H logo and then we had the H in the heart, Mm -hmm. which became kind of just as synonymous as the logo. And then we were able to pull that heart out after a while. And like the heart actually felt like part of the campaign language. So what they, what Chelsea and a couple of the other designers did was um, basically talk to every like digital campaign in the States and talk to them about like, okay, if we were going to give you um, a heart that like felt representative of your state, like what is like some like symbolism that, that, kind of works with your state. So like they started building out this special set of hearts that were every state got one. Okay. So like Wisconsin had like a cheese heart. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, like uh, I'm trying to think some of the other, they were all like brilliant. Um, of course that's the only one that's coming to mind, but like they were this really like beautiful set of illustrations and they turned into like placards for rallies. They Mm -hmm. turn into social graphics. They turn into bumper stickers. Um, we were really able to give them pieces of the brand that were wholly unique to them, but still fit within the language. And I think that is like really, really special and something that I hope more campaigns do in the future. Cause I think it's really important to have that kind of, unity between all parts of the campaign gotcha when when things ramp up and you know with with political design there's an aspect of it and and i hate this word for it but it's what it is it's it's also propaganda design at a certain point because it's you're 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 trying to convey the psychology behind things and you're trying to push that message and have it resonate. How do you guys start focusing on that psychology behind things of what's going to resonate? I think for us, like this is actually a big thing that I worked on since I was the design lead for social and I co-led content. So like our blog, um, and this was something that I thought about a lot because I know that, I mean, just from experience working on the campaign, a lot of like the feedback that Hillary Clinton gets is like, people don't think she feels authentic. And it's like having met her like multiple times, uh, I have a pretty good sense of like who she is as a, as a human. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really my job was to look at the different kinds of content we were pushing out and kind of map them to tone and voice Mm -hmm. and really just making sure that the design was true to that. Um, I wanted, I was extra, extra, extra cautious that we, 
never came across as trying to like pull the wool over your eyes or like mislead you in any way. And that actually like is how the whole campaign functioned. Like we had an entire research department that like fact checked every single thing that went out. So like if we're giving you a statistic, like <laughs> as opposed to the like, other side of the uh, the spectrum that uh, I mean, did it's like, it's, anti fact checking. <laughs> it like I mean it hurts my heart because like everything that we put out was so methodically checked over like yes. a thousand times. Like nothing went out that there were like, no even alternative if, like, facts. <laughs> no alternative facts but it's like you know it's it's wild because like we would have to redo like just like a statistic that we were putting on a social graph and we would redesign it like six times because it would like be tweaking like one word just to make sure that like nothing felt disingenuous sure um and that was really what i tried to do in reflecting that in design and so we actually had this um i built this tone matrix mm-hmm. that mapped it's like this is where my brain goes. So like I'm, we mapped, I'm curious like, about this. So please fill me in. Yeah, it was actually, it was really interesting. So we have, um, on the campaign, we had different voices. So mm-hmm. we had Hillary's voice, which is supposed to be like core brand authentic. Like that is like smack dab in the middle of this like tone matrix is mm-hmm. like your coreest of the core brand. And that means like very little design. Like if it's Hillary's voice, it's either like a video clip of her speaking or it is like, a quote graphic in this specific typeface that is like Hillary's voice. Like that is like, it is very, very little design. It's like no embellishment. And then like when you get further into like FOMO, like get out the vote, like we want to like push you to like, there's like some excitement. That's Mm -hmm. actually where the campaign's voice comes in Mm -hmm. uh, because it, that kind of push might not actually feel like it would be coming from Hillary's voice. Like she's not someone going on stage and like wave like pom-poms at you. Like that's not going to (laughs) happen. So, like we're I not going to design it that, that way, right? I mean, same, but like <laughs> we all know it's not going to happen. So, like, um, I think that was where we had the campaign's voice, and where we could get a little bit brighter with the color palette, get a little louder with the typography, um, start to bring in like animation and motion and like video, and like get like a little bit cheerleadery because that's who we were. Like campaign staffers are your cheerleaders on a campaign, so like mm-hmm. that's where the voice makes sense. Um, and then if we're talking like statistics or, you know, policy, like, can we lift up third party validators? Like, can it be something from like AP or something from Washington Post where we are just, we're not designing anything. We're taking like a screenshot of an article with highlights and we're just letting it speak for itself so that you know exactly where it came from. It's a trusted source. Like we didn't touch it. Like mm-hmm. it is what it is. So I think it was really that thinking about like, how can we take the foot off the gas or how can we like press the gas really hard depending on what we want. Um, and that I think was, was really, I think it, it, I mean, we did not win, but I still think it was successful where, you know, we, we had a, we just, we were up against more than the other side was like, I think, you know, no matter what we did, like, uh, yeah, you watch like, the news, you can see that. So like, well, let me rephrase. If you're not you know, watching Fox news, you can see that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, uh, but I think that the way that we, I'm really proud of the way that we approached, um, pushing out content. It felt like at the end of the day and my days were like long as hell, but at the end of the day I could go home and be like, you know what? Like we put everything out there as clear as we possibly could have. And, we were genuine and we were authentic and like we did like what we were supposed to do in the tone that we were supposed to do it. And like, I'm proud of that. Gotcha. So, so moving forward after the, you know, after the election and after the campaign wraps up, 
what do you end up doing? Well, I floated around for a couple months, uh, mm-hmm. like in a stupor. Um, cause like it's, in it's shock. working on a campaign <laughs> is like wild. Cause like, I mean, we lost, which was like the worst day. I mean, top five worst days of my life. So like we, I can imagine. we lost and then you not only, not only did you lose a thing that you were really hoping you were going to win, um, but then you're out of a job mm-hmm. and you're so like you're unemployed and you're sad. So like, you're yeah. just like, you're like, everything is Double whammy. Yeah. Um, which was really hard. It hit me, it hit me a lot harder than I thought it was going to, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm a pretty resilient person, but that was like November and December were like really rough. Yeah. Um, and I picked up freelance right away because I had to pay my bills, but it was, it was just hard to like put yourself into any project at that point. Sure. Um, but yeah, but then I GQ, I got an email from GQ one day, um, which was great. The digital director at the time, um, was a pretty big Hillary supporter. Mm-hmm. And I think they were, their art director was leaving okay. and, uh, he reached out cause he had seen my work and like my work actually totally does like fit GQ pretty well. It's like pretty funny that I went from like girl power campaign to like gentlemen's quarterly, but, uh, <laughs> um, but they called and I was like, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. So I, I started freelance there and then moved to, to full time, um, when they decided to launch a Snapchat discover channel. So uh-huh. that's kind of like my baby to get off the ground and like build a team, which has been honestly amazing. Like I, I, it has been really fun to build, a team of like designers and motion graphic designers. And, um, I just, I work with really, really talented people. So like, I'm, I'm pretty lucky with my job now. Like we're, we're making fun work and we're still, it's still in that brand system space where you're taking a legacy brand, but you're bringing Mm -hmm. motion and sound to it. And you're, you're kind of pushing the brand in like very far into like 2018, like into like the now, um, not that it's, it's not there on print, but like making it move and really getting to bring it to life and reaching an entirely different audience that maybe isn't reading the magazine or like sure. probably not reading the magazine, um, is pretty exciting. Like how do we become like the, you know, slightly younger face of GQ? Yeah, I, I can see that. Cause I mean, GQ kind of got stale for a while. Not that I was ever a huge GQ, reader but there was a time period i'd say within the past five to ten years where it got really stale um and i don't i mean i don't mean they weren't like trying to push things they just it felt kind of like they were just resting on their laurels and not embracing new things for a little while and then last i checked in it seemed like it had moved forward quite a bit and yeah. What it discussed and the messaging behind it too. It's, you know, I've, I've never been like a, like a GQ reader per se, but I have always kind of been peeking in on the design um, just because Fred Woodward, who was the design director is mm-hmm. he's the way that he approaches like publication design is so interesting um, because like every new issue is kind of its own world. Sure. Um, which is really interesting when like, it's still and like the fact that he's able to still make it feel on brand is like mm-hmm. very impressive to me. Cause like, I am like, I come from like, as you know, like now, um, that I've come from like a systems world. So like, where is like, like I'm looking at like, how does everything fit like very much into this like brand box and Fred kind of has like a different view of things. So it was really interesting to watch him 
him work. But, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, GQ, like, like we're doing some really fun stuff right now. I'm mm-hmm. glad that I am, uh, I'm starting to touch more digital projects there. So in, in addition to Snapchat, like looking at, art direction of the website and, and kind of helping manage the team on that side, looking at how do we bring design to video and really using my Snapchat team's resources, looking mm-hmm. at like, how do we bring the like motion language that we've developed on Snapchat and push that into video? Cause it really is kind of a natural progression between those two channels. Sure. Um, and that's something that's been really fun. Cause like, I'm telling you like the, like my team, they like come up with some crazy stuff where I'm like, you guys are like, it's amazing to watch them work. It's really great. Um, so I'm excited that we're getting to do more of that on, on different channels. And then, and then thinking of social too, you know, how do we, how do we do promos or like, how do we, how do we do, you know, what we're doing on Snapchat on Instagram stories or like, Mm -hmm. how do we move that language kind of cross channel and make it like really cohesive. Um, so I think that's exciting that there's been a lot of support for thinking of things less segmented and starting to think of like digital as like this holistic big thing that like design can really kind of transcend all of that and, and be kind of this one uniform language where like each platform still has their own voice a little bit, but um, they're all definitely coming from the same place. Well, how how do you do that? Cause like you said, each platform does have its own language and it's, you know, you're, you're not just factoring into design at that point, you're factoring into algorithms and, you know, yeah. there is a psychology behind it, but it's, it's from my experience designing things in the social world, the psychology is different because you've got to look at what's the user psychology versus what is the platform psychology and how do yeah. those interact with each other. And, you know, user psychology doesn't change nearly as quickly as platform psychology does. How mm-hmm. How are you guys adapting all of that? Well, I think it's, it's a lot of research. Um, and I, and by research, I mean, listening to the people in the office who have that knowledge and knowing that obviously we're like, I'm coming from a place where like, I'm trying to get the design in a certain place, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not going to design without talking to someone about performance or not talking to someone about like how, certain things affect the algorithm. Um, so I think it's, it's really listening and trying to let people know that like you're hearing them and you're here to help. Um, because I think that is, that's hard. I think, I think, you know, when you're someone who is dealing with the algorithm on one Uh side, um, I think that having someone in your ear being like, it should be designed (laughs) a certain way is not helpful at all. Um, so I think, you know, what I've been doing with my team is just really sitting down with people who are running certain platforms and being like, okay, tell me about video performance. Tell me about caption size. Tell me about like, you know, dimensions. Tell me about color. Like what, like what have you been tracking with your performance on certain things? And like, how can we build that into this like comprehensive style guide that at least gives us a place to start? Like, you know, like if we're going to shoot video and it's like direct to camera, like, should the person be on a white backdrop? Should they be on a color backdrop? Like, do we see a difference? And like, sometimes you do, like you really do see a difference between just color on Mm -hmm. platform. And I think having to be 
Um, like going into it, knowing that your content is not going to work one-to-one from like web to social to in social, mm-hmm. even meaning like web to Facebook, to Twitter, to Instagram, sure. to Snapchat, like it's, it's, it's definitely not one-to-one. And so how can we know what we're getting into at step one? So that way we can more easily get you the assets that are going to work like from the get go instead mm-hmm. of having to play catch up later. Like that's what I'm really trying to do is like making sure that like, we can kind of avoid having to do these like last minute, like actually I need an entire new video cut. That's like this dimension. Like if I, if we just know that in the beginning what's going to work best for you, we can get you all of those things right away. Gotcha. Um, so I'm just trying to like streamline that, but it is, it really is like fact finding missions like every day, like my <laughs> Google drive folders are like out of control with just like one-on-one interviews with like people in the office being like, tell me how your job works and like how we can make it better. <laughs> Could you translate that into English for me? Yeah. <laughs> Lots of those conversations. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so like, what do you mean by kinetic captions? I don't know what that is. Yeah. So, so you've been at GQ for about a year now, right? Mm-hmm, just over a year. And how from... From the time you came in, which I know you were a freelancer, but let's just count that all as one time, just for ease of things. But from the time you came in the door to where you're at now, how has your role expanded and how is it, you know, where do you see it going? Um, So when I I came in, it was a a little like blurry because Snapchat hadn't really been like the the thing we were focusing on yet and so uh once snapchat started we that like that grew because we started at publishing once a week to publishing twice a week which Mm -hmm. meant our team effectively had to double because it is a lot of work Mm -hmm. um so that my role grew there and then really with that um I started just like project managing more and like really being like art directing the work, but also really thinking about streamlining and like, how can we fix the process for this so that no one feels like they're losing their mind. Um, and I think, you know, people notice that and we're like, can you do that for other parts of the site? <laughs> I can do that. Um, so I think, you know, kind of helping figure out like process and just bringing that to other parts of the team. And then now, um, now I am overseeing those other parts of the team. So I'm overseeing the website and, uh, and social and video to a certain extent. Um, mm-hmm. Video sits a little bit outside of GQ. So like we help on the design and motion side, but we work closely with that team. Like they're a team of their own. Okay. Uh, but it's really like my goal now is to, we have a, we have a new design director mm-hmm. who just started um, Rob Vargas. He came from Bloomberg business week and he's great. So I'm, you know, hoping I'm going to be working really closely with him as he starts to like put in place his vision for GQ and like what GQ is going to be and make sure that digital is actually part of that conversation has a seat at the table from day one mm-hmm. so that we're not playing catch up and we can make sure that like the brand is kind of shifting all at once. So I think, I think it's going to be really good. I think that, um, you know, once, once Rob gets going on, on new GQ, I think it'll be, I think it'll be really good to, um, make sure that all of, all of our digital properties are, are just as good. Gotcha. When, when you're, you know, in, in this process of working under a new design director and, you know, building new systems and all, what challenges, I mean, I realize not all challenges you can see coming up, but what challenges 
do you envision at the moment and, and you know, how, how do you kind of plan on tackling them? Um, I think like first off is like, you know, our, our, like, will our brand typefaces change? And if mm-hmm. they do like that really is going to have to be reflected everywhere because the website relies on that. Um, Snapchat discover is a really text heavy platform because okay. it's, essentially like a zine so like that's going to have to reflect that like we use a lot of like designed copy in um in snap so like that will have to reflect that um so i see that being kind of like a big hurdle if that happens kind of off the bat and just making sure that we can update all of our materials so that we're using type in the best way possible um but so i think i think that and then um i think just kind of hitting that rhythm as the the print team grows and making sure that like as the digital side is growing, that there is that kind of collaboration and communication and, you know, as people are working on their own projects, just making sure that things don't get so segmented. Um, and that like that conversation can still be there because, you know, the building that we're in is huge and we're not always all sitting on the same floor. So like that is actually difficult. Um, making sure that like you have that relationship and it doesn't feel two separate. So I think that's just going to take effort on, on everyone's part to make sure we're all kind of chatting together. Moving forward, what, what are some things that you're really excited about that you've already seen in the works that you're allowed to talk about? Oh, that's like, that's tough. The, um, the allowed to talk about is the tough part. <laughs> well, I will say um, the on Wednesday, well, actually, so this will be in the past now sure. when this goes live, but I, several Wednesdays ago, several Wednesdays ago. Um, we are lucky enough that we got to be the like first partner with Snapchat to actually launch like this commerce side of the platform. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's like this integration where that no one has used yet that you can actually link, um, Shopify to a snap. So like if we wanted to feature a workout shirt, you could swipe up and you could buy it like in the app, which is, is just pretty cool and like innovative. So like, I'm excited that we are going to be the first out the door to try that. So just kind of pushing the tech boundaries on like what we're working on. Um, so that's really exciting. And, um, yeah, there's just, you know, I think, yeah, there's like some video stuff I can't talk about, but like there are some really <laughs> great video projects coming out. So just stay tuned. <laughs> Very cool. And then, you know, for you personally, you know, what, what, what exciting do you have coming up, uh, in the near future? Uh, this, uh, this year is like, it's just like crazy. I feel like every, every single one of my friends decided to get married this year. So like <laughs> my, my life is like work and then like wedding travel, like back and forth from Chicago and here. Um, but yeah, I have like, I have some, like a couple, I take on freelance every now and then mm-hmm. when I have time. Um, but yeah, this year is like, just it's like the meg get my life back on track here so not so not too not too many like crazy projects outside of outside of work um this like new kind of digital unification at gq has taken up um a lot of time it's like very exciting but not a lot of extra free time for other other projects sure well meg thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me um where can people find yeah where can people find you online um, you can check out my website at megvasquez.com and I am on Twitter and Instagram at, at Megatron and that's M E A G H A T R O N. Um, but yeah, come see my weird Why'd tweets. you pick that one? 
Um, so like my full name, Megan, yeah. uh, is spelled with like all the extra letters in it. Yeah. And this was like high school. Meg was like, I'm going to be Megatron, but Meg spelled like with my actual Megan spelling. Um, and I just haven't changed it cause it's, I don't want anyone else to take it. So I mean, I feel like you've got to keep that one. It's, it's pretty, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's pretty good. Forever. So I mean, I've had it for like, like at this point, like going on like 10 years. So it's yeah. not changing. Yeah. You're, you're already branded. <laughs> yeah. Full on Megatron. Awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you uh, getting up early. And, and for, for those that are listening, we recorded this on Daylight Savings Day. So it's... <laughs> which we both kind of forgot of. <laughs> yeah, which we both forgot about. And so we're both a little out of sorts on the grogginess. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. You're welcome. Go out and hug some necks. I will. <laughs> You can find out more about Meg on Twitter at Megatron. And be sure to check out the links on the show notes for more ways to keep up with her. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative SO Pod. And follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code SOUTH15OFF at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVESOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And... Remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.